Hi and welcome back. This is the 11th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. Joining me today to talk about music, memory, and archive is German producer and live performer Uwe Schmidt, also known as Atom TM. Having produced under dozens of aliases over a career that spans more than three decades, Atom is one of those rare artists who truly cannot be pinned down. His work has touched on techno, ambient, acid, IDM, electro-latino, and experimental. And anyone familiar with his massive catalogue of releases knows how crucial a role his music has played, and the impact he continues to make on the electronic music industry. joining me. Mm -hmm. Pleasure to have you. So mm -hmm. what role does memory play in your creative process, whether mm -hmm. that's actually making music or kind of thinking about production or art? Well, I think um, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I started to become more um, aware or yeah, more aware of my um, musical past a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. It wasn't actually a topic at all until that point. And I think it had something to do with, I don't know, turning 40. And then suddenly you have a chunk of past behind you. Before that, I think you have to have that experience, you know, to have a, a sufficiently big chunk of time behind you mm -hmm. to recognize it as a chunk of time. Until then, it's just the past. You know, it's not big enough for being important. And that's something I realized that has nothing to do actually with you wanting it or not wanting it. It just happened. Suddenly I looked back and I realized, well, shit, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, a, it's, uh, it's 20 years or something since you started making things. And even though I've never been like really, it's never been really important to look back at what I've done. It's more important. It's always been more important, you know, uh, being in the process. But there was this one moment where I had to look back because it became like un the past became unmanageable. Like I couldn't figure out where the stuff was and where the masters and it became like really practically important to look back at it and make some structure and, and stuff. So that was the first thing. It was like really, really uh, basic and, and practical. But I was not really interested in, in dealing with like past productions as such, like I'm not really that interested in uh, looking back and oh, like memories or what was that or how was that done? It was not really, it's never been really a thing. But then of course, in the, in the practical process of going through it, you had to, it, it was like um, inevitable that suddenly you'll listen to an old master tape from like, I don't know, 2000 and it's like, totally foreign to you what mm -hmm. why you know and, and then actually I had forgotten a lot of things and they all came back and it's a little bit like reading a, um, like a, a book you had read 20 years ago or diary or something like that and that was actually turned into a totally different um, thing dealing with your own memory and actually I found it then at some point like really entertaining to uh, have to deal with that old stuff which was some it can as you know it, it's i think i don't think music is such a big difference in that sense it's like a little bit like like an old boyfriend or girlfriend you had you'd be like oh really um i don't know what happened to me back then but, uh, yeah what it's, was i thinking yeah it's part of your it's part of your past you know yeah and you very often you don't understand why or how or if and all that and with music it's the same like i had a lot of uh, good memories for example about certain productions and then I was looking forward to, you know, listening to them again and, and I didn't like them at all. And the same happened to, you know, to the other side where I was like, oh, I have to remaster this production from like 92 and I never really liked it. And then suddenly I was like positively surprised about the music, you know. And then I realized that um, this whole memory thing was quite unpredictable. And I dropped like all expectations of my own 
past in that sense and try to like rediscover things and just deal with it in a not too apprehensive fashion like i'm not like super concerned about what would people think about that it's just like something that i don't ha have any real relationship to anymore it's like yeah like like so like a person you used to know you don't mm. really have any attachment sometimes it's not in your it's uh, i realize it's not in your it's not your decision to make as you were saying that it's kind of like a a person that you used to know do you feel like as you get further away from your earliest work that you have less and less attachment to it I, in general and uh, I've always been very aware of that. I've always felt that there's a detachment from what I've done, like pretty much, it's pretty close to right after when I finished it. There's like a short period of time when I can still like, when I listen to it for a couple of days and then I'm already somewhere else. And it happens really, really quickly that I can't really, uh, I don't want to listen to it anymore or I feel like, okay, it's been done. I want to do something else. And then it's gone. It's not. Um, it's really more about uh, the process and um, giving yourself a task and try mm. to figure it out. And then, uh, and it's all important. It's not that it's not important. You know, I think all the stuff I've done, even like the very early music, I would never ever do again. I sort of like have memories of how I did it and why I did it, and and I couldn't really. I wouldn't be interested in, in repeating that, but I realized it was totally necessary to do it that way. Okay. There was no other way than doing it that way. And that's why I do the stuff I'm doing right now. It's like all connected, but it doesn't mean that I have to uh, love it or, or, or appreciate it or anything. It's like... Um, it's just a thing that exists. Which is uh, in itself quite interesting because the further it uh, goes um, away or from you, the more it becomes an independent um, item. It's no longer anything you have to do uh, or you have any connection with. It's like um, a couple of years ago, I, I um, inherited a collection of family photos when my uh, older brother died. And he had all the family photos from everybody from my now 100 years ago. And they are, they are like, of course, photos of mine when I was just born or when I, yeah. when I was like five years old. And I have memories of that time. So I have this weird, you have this weird connection that you have a memory of. You even have like a picture or, mm -hmm. or a feeling. And I can relate that totally to the picture I see of myself. But if I hadn't that uh, memory myself, it, uh, it would be like a different, it would be a different person. When people say, yeah, but you did this and this. I go like, are you sure it was me? Because, <laughs> um, it's an interesting question. Who is that me? Without the memory and without the, the attachment in time, mm, I would even go that far and say that it's not the same person. I mean, do you feel that way when you look back on your old music, like that it's sort of a different person? Yeah. If you maybe don't have a memory of making that track or don't, very often you know? I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of music. It's the, my old, my, the 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 entire catalog is around two thousand tracks. And there's a huge percentage of, of those which I have no memory of at all. I don't know when I did this or how or why. Um, I kind of feel like they're mine in a way. They're somehow there. But I, I have no um, recollection whatsoever. And, and it's not even important, I think. But it's a little bit... I could Sometimes I listen to my stuff and I think it could have been somebody else. Right. Um, and it's good. I mean, it, you detach from that and... and and yeah, it's, it's all right. I have no... <laughs> it sounds a bit like an identity crisis, you know, like looking back and feeling like it could have been somebody else that did that. No, I, I've always <laughs> had an identity crisis. Uh, very important, I think, for my create, creative process has always been that idea of being somebody else. Mm -hmm. I always liked that a lot. Exploring different musical ideas, um, different, you know, um, mythology... Uh, method, Methodologies. Methodologies, mm -hmm. yeah. I've always been very interested in how the world would look like or sound like from somebody else's um, consciousness. So it's always been a thing. I, I always like to create like a, a universe and dive into that and explore it and do something and it has an output and then go somewhere else. So um, identity has always been an, an, an important topic for me. So would you say that your personal memories or your past influences you in some ways musically? I see everything you do, not even not only music, I think in general, everything you do in the best case. 
um, if you're doing it consciously um, and if it's like somehow related, um, at, if, let's say, I know, as a profession or as a vocation, it's like you're, you're pursuing like the same path um, over many, many years, then I think it's the, the logical conclusion that whatever you do has to have some use uh, for future purposes in a good or in a bad way. Many, many things I've done, a lot of music I've done, were really in that sense experiments as I didn't know if it would really work out. And then sometimes you had like a very good idea and after this, the second track you realize it wasn't that a good idea. <laughs> and maybe it's just one track is enough, but you, you've made like six or seven. So there's a lot of um, trial and error, I would say. But everything, um, I always try to, after a process, a creative process to me is always like um, you set up, um, it's like setting up an experiment, like, okay, I, I want to have a different set of uh, parameters. Let's set it up and then try to make it work. And if you figure it out, if you make it, and if you go there, even if you fail, you know what you can do and what you can't. And then after having done that a couple of times, this becomes um, this thing you've learned or figured out you could not learn has become an entity. It becomes like like a, a closed circuit. It's, it's like an, an element you can in future... Uh, in the future you can refer to as you learn a language and you start with uh, vocabulary and then after a while you have phrases and entire thoughts that you can just access to you don't have to go back to the words you can just take a whole phrase and put it somewhere making music is like that like things that were very very difficult for me 20 years ago from having an idea into making it concrete in production um, I realized there were a lot of things I had no idea how I would manage to go there and to make it uh, happen after you've done it three four five years it becomes like very easy and you don't even think about it and you can then make it more complex and take that that entire thing you have learned uh, it just becomes like um, nothing special anymore mm. you just like uh, work with it you can operate with with those with with all those elements from the past as if they are um yeah that's like um how do you say they become like elements of your technique. Mm -hmm. So are you talking more like technical stuff or creatively like coming up with ideas or something? It's like that? all the same because the, the technical stuff, I'm sometimes giving a workshop which is called uh, Technology and Technique where it's, it's very much about that. The relationship, um, the creative relationship which is then expressed in an artistic technique. A technique is like how you operate your creative parameters. But it's very related to the technology you use, which is easier to understand if you talk about tools, um, machines, or or instruments. It doesn't really matter. Or if you're a painter, it's your it's your brush and your oil and your canvas. It's the same thing. You have to develop a feeling for for the technology and for it. it feeds back into you after you have used a certain um, um, instrument for, for 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 some time. It becomes part of your. Um, you start thinking with it and you start having ideas related to that. So they're, they're all like interlinked. I don't see them really as, um, you can see them and they are, I mean, philosophically speaking, they are two different sets but um, of things. There's like, I don't know, the tool, the, the, the material thing and your idea, which is like an abstract thing in your head maybe, in the best case. But they, they, um, they, they have a relationship, they're ping pong. So... Um, a synthesizer can give you an idea after a couple of, you know, if you figure it out, suddenly you start planning with, with the structure of a machine and you develop ideas and then you realize the, the, those ideas and uh, with a machine and you progress in the use of that machine and then you can expand your vocabulary, your technical vocabulary and your technique. Your ideas become more and more complex. Complex not in terms of difficulty, but in terms of, um, they become bigger you can, you can you can you can dare to do certain things right. you were not able to even think about maybe 10 15 years ago so how complex are your ideas now that you've been doing this for 20 years they're getting <laughs> terrifyingly complex it's it's a real problem yeah, i had a mm. conversation with peter about this yesterday and especially talking about my archive um, if you look if i look back at stuff i have done 20 years ago or more uh, i know that I, there were lots of uh, tracks i did like really really quickly and uh, I had great joy in doing things like really quickly. Um, I had a lot, lots of ideas in a very short time. 
and we're able to bring them onto tape in a very, very short time as well. And I was, I remember that I was really entertained by doing that. And that this has totally changed. Like I, I have no, um, I don't feel any satisfaction in doing that. The complexity of things has turned into a situation where I create like really, really complex and big things in my head. Unfortunately, I have a lot of satisfaction um, yeah, working really slowly on really big projects. <laughs> this has become like, this is like a big change in me, I think. So I can't really, if somebody goes like, yeah, but you could do like three tracks in three days. Like, yeah, I could do that, but I don't really want to because I, I'm I usually, I, I, I'm a little bit trapped in like making like really, really complex things. And even in the past where I did something really simple and quick, there was always this moment where you could just let it go. And you know, you could spend much more time in doing this. Uh, but you don't want to. And um, this has flipped, like right now, I really want to do this. I really want to sit down and like polish something over and over and over again um, until I have the feeling it's as good as I can do it. And I have no joy in, in doing anything quick. I was going to say, like, there was a time where you were putting out like a release every month. So mm-hmm. I guess this is a pretty big change for you. In the beginning, this change was a little bit uh, disturbing because I was like, what's going on? I, <laughs> I want to do, I have so many ideas, I want to do stuff. And then suddenly I realized, ah, Instead of like trying to work on, I don't know, 20 different ideas um, during one week and f- complete 15 of those, uh, I just let it simmer and then I bundle like these 20 ideas into one. So it's like, uh, it's like I'm really like building complex projects, which also like in the, in the method of composing them or composing music, I really, it, it has become like a meta task. I'm trying to cluster and stack ideas and different methods instead of like um and see how how complex um it can be it's a lot it's a lot more concentration of course but i really enjoy the fact that i um i would not have been possible it would not be possible for me to do that 20 years ago um so it has been a big change in that sense it has a lot to do with the memories looking back at, at things and uh, back at things and, and and realizing how you know how i had it done it back then what have i extracted from that process. There was an interview of yours where you were talking about hearing uh, an LM1 drum computer for the first time, mm-hmm. or when you first heard Acid around mm-hmm. uh, the early 90s, mm-hmm. and how that was really impactful on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that your current compositional challenges involve managing those kind of incisive moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why is that? Can you tell me a bit about how you manage your past within your present? That's also a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the the LM1 drum drum machine is a good example in the sense as that when when you're in a certain mindset or um, I don't know I think I think the human consciousness is like this bubble uh, like every human every consciousness every being every me or ego or how you want to call it is like living within that bubble in which um, you can explain how the universe is for you it makes all sense within that bubble. And then there is something like, um, well, you and I, we, we have like something in common as, as human species. So where our, in, our consciousnesses intersect, we kind of can communicate. Uh, but there's the biggest part I think of our consciousness is private. Like um, that's when suddenly things don't make sense or when societies have to come to mutual agreements because this is what a society is basically. We have all these fragments of individuals and um, we have to make it all work. So what's, you know, what's the cross-section of all that? And when you are learning or when you are interested in um, yeah, getting to know the unknown, um, which I think is the creative, in my opinion, is this the creative uh, impulse, uh, to me at least, then there are moments where things pop up and you have no idea what's going on. And then there are people which reject that when you go like, oh, I don't like that. A lot of people that uh, were around me back in the 80s when when like Acid appeared, which was like a really big shift in terms of musicality. Like the 80s were like really complex and dark and like a lot of like um, political and social burden, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly this music came along, which was like a drum machine and the and the baseline. You said it was like no statement. No it was no statement. Yeah. And f- the first reaction for me was, 
that's real. Mm. Like, <laughs> this is this is music uh, as well. And mm. a lot of people I realized uh, around um, you know which were I don't know, fans or making music with me didn't like it at all, and they never really liked it. And they were like, "This is like uh, this, is, this is trash." You know, we don't we don't want that. And you can of course do that, and a lot of times you do that. You have to do that. But I found it like a, identities. I was like, what's going on there? Who is this? Um, how does it work? Um, and the drum machine was a little bit the same. Like I was 14 maybe. And I had never really consciously listened to a programmed rhythm. But I was playing drums. So I was like really interested in rhythm and, and playing rhythms. And then suddenly you hear a rhythm and you analyze it. And you have no idea what's going on. It's like so perfect. You know, it's not a human being doing that. And it kind of like exploded my head when I realized that I could do that. You know, we can do that. We can program rhythms. It's incredible. As a, as a, as a boy, as a little boy, wow, what's going on? Um, and um, a lot of times you start like exploring and learning something from that. And like I said before, this becomes then like a new sub kit within your uh, toolkit. You can't um, constantly, um, in my case, I constantly want to make that toolkit bigger let's say so i really um, i mean the, the drum machine the thing with the drum machines has has since then been like one of my obsessions i would say like i really like the fact that there are drum machines and um, that they are different and and um, and i like what they do and how they function i think when, when there is like a positive impact artistically or in a creative sense in in what you're doing I'm um, I'm always like really interested in carrying this over into future future ideas. Even though you lose interest, maybe every now and then it's like cycles or it's it's like a spiral. Maybe and after a while you're like bored of this or that, and then you go somewhere else. And it's a little bit like the same with with techno. I was like really not into techno for maybe fifteen years. I found it really really boring around like ninety four. Like it didn't it didn't do anything yeah. to me. Suddenly, like uh, maybe 10 years ago, I suddenly realized that um, it's still there. And a lot had changed and it, uh, it became like really, really um, interesting again. Same like acid or whatever you want to call it, um, which stands for a certain musical, um, I don't know, mood maybe or uh, attitude. Do you ever think about the future where music is concerned? Yes, I'm asked this question quite a lot. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh, which is interesting. It's always the question. I mean, especially with electronic music. Electronic music has always had this attachment mm -hmm. to the future in a way. Mm -hmm. Rock or jazz, even though it was new at some point, it never really had uh, the future on its um, flag. Jazz was never about the future. It was about jazz. Yeah, and the story. I mean, you've said previously that techno has always kind of tried to be ahead of its time, but it's actually really not. Do you think that techno should think about the past more? I found for a long time that um, self-attachment of techno to the future and proclaiming that it is futuristic, a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> at some point, it, it certainly, at, at some point it felt like that, of course. But the problem with the future is that it's coming closer. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it feels a little bit like we're in the future that techno was kind of imagining when it first started. Yeah, yeah. There was a, po a point like in the end 90s, 2000s, where everybody was like, oh, the electronic music is so futuristic. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's just the same like in 93. Right now, um, and now I, f I think it has more to do with being like too expectant. Maybe, um, and maybe me or everybody, I don't know, was expecting too much in a short very short period of time right now with it's almost 2020 there are a lot of things on this planet musically as well but in many aspects culturally where i would go okay this if i look back at 1980 and if i would look at that now from 1980 i would say yeah yeah futuristic <laughs> um maybe 10 years ago this was less so the case um uh, definitely now music um, or in general, like cultural expression um, in all kinds of art or or design, where I would say, yeah, this is um, it's more futuristic than uh, twenty years ago. But I found I found like the that that slogan which techno had like put on its flag 
a little bit too big mm. for what really had happened. It was like, come on, you know, <laughs> take it easy, you know. It's not that it's not that simple, you mm. know, to be futuristic. And the interesting thing with techno is, um, which is also something that has now become clearer, that um, I think techno is the only musical style which is where everybody who makes techno is actually trying to make the very same track. Like there's this one <laughs> platonic techno yeah. track that everybody wants to make. And it's, it's, of course, always changing a little bit. And I find that really fascinating that uh, it's more... it's. Um, like a, a rock song never wants to be identical to another mm. rock song. It's always about something else. But with techno, I always feel like everybody's kind of like working on the very same core idea, which has never been defined really. But do you think you've come close? No, no, no. I think if... <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say. There were moments maybe more during live performances where I had the feeling it was pretty close. Um... I also think that techno is not necessarily a recording um, genre, even though they're very, very good, of course, renditions, you know, on vinyl or whatever. But I always felt it much more um, achieved being in a club, having a PA. That that's more the energy I associate with with that type of music because also it's been always been more club music than than really like recording music um, i always felt like techno was more like a, a live thing but not live as playing live but even the dj putting it right. you know playing performing, and performing live in a club you once said that in a way we're all still trying to escape from past movements whether that's musically or architecturally or artistically in this interview, you mentioned Baroque music as an example. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that? Like, what did you mean by sort of trying to escape from past movements? Well, there was this, uh, I don't know if you uh, have heard or read about this book uh, by Jean Baudrillard, the French philosopher, of, he died maybe 20 years ago. And he was really, really, I read a lot of his stuff in the 80s. And he had written a book before the year 2000, which was called The Year 2000 Will Not Take Place. And he's talking about the end of history and the end of what will happen to, to, to the human um, consciousness once you've passed the horizon, where the year 2000 has always been this faraway horizon mm -hmm. where the future happens. And it was always easy to project towards this point, which was really far away. Um, when anybody culturally or philosophically was talking about the future, there was always like this point where you could like place your idea. And then suddenly, and he proclaimed that um, once we cross that line, we will come into a, a, a period where history stops um, to exist and we will fall into a loop of permanent uh, recycling of everything that has been there mm -hmm. in like different combinations and um, yeah, recycling basically. And when I read this in the eighties, like eighty-seven, eighty-eight, it's it read it really it felt like you're reading sci-fi. This is really far out <laughs> stuff, you know. Uh, how and he was pretty, um, how do you say, bold in his statement. You read this in the eighties or nineties, and you were like, "Wow, this is a very daring um, statement." And then suddenly, after the year two thousand, like um, to me, like the first ten years of the two thousands were just like that. Everything was coming to like this kind of like standing wave and and everything, electronic music was kind of like frozen into just like repeating into an, another, there was like another revival and right, another right. revival and they were coming closer and closer. Like I remember that when, when there was the first acid revival, mm -hmm. it took like, it, it took like I don't know, a year. And then there was the drum and bass revival, another yeah. year. And then suddenly it became shorter and shorter and shorter. Everything's just a revival now. Yeah, and then, and then suddenly it was like, nobody has an idea what's, what's going on. And everything's like happening at the same time. But do you and, think that that will, that, that will, it will always be like this where arts or music is concerned now, like mm -hmm. now we've just reached a point where nobody has any more ideas. Now it's over. <laughs> what will happen is, um, that um, and try to figure that out but um, when we talk about music or art I think what will what we have what we are experiencing right now is the um, disappearance 
of the horizon on which those expressions take place and make sense. It's maybe easier to understand um, with art. And I used to say when you, it happens to everybody, you're online and you're Googling, I don't know, um, you find like an incredible painter from China and you just like find it online. And this guy or this uh, woman or man is doing incredible stuff, like in terms of technique and what is being developed there. And uh, you often think you find stuff like that in also in engineering or in tech or in music where you find some individual somewhere which is doing really incredible stuff. And you look at it and you go like, wow, if, if that had happened like a hundred years ago, this would have blown like everybody's mm. mind. Um, and today it's just like something. <laughs> and then you find yourself like being really amazed and then you click away and it's gone. And you go like, wow, really? Did I do that? I mean, I, I, you don't even know the name of that person. And you, it's, there's so many so amazing things happening in all, in all fields, design, tech, um, philosophy, painting, music as well, that um, the very same definition of art has kind of become useless to define it. Um, so this is, I think, you can feel it more in art than in music uh, because it's a smaller kind of scene or, or this. it's a smaller world. But if you look at painting and art and everything, um, there's way too many incredible things happening for us to still using the word art as that, because it does not have the same... It doesn't operate in the same. Um, it doesn't have the same functionality as art as it used to have. It's it's almost then like this parallel bubble, where it just all happens. And what I think will happen is that we take all this what we today call art, and we just zip it into something else, and then it's there. If you call it art or whatever, the same I think is uh, going to happen with music. That um, the way we know music in terms of the formats we use and um, the markets, the way it is consumed, the way it is listened to, the way it is shared and all that. Um, this is transforming into something much bigger, much more complex than it used to be. And um, I think we will need to rename it at some point. Uh, it, it's not going to be the same as it used to be. And in that process, we have to, we'll figure out new ways of redefining what we used to call music. Um, and for example, there are this, and that's a little bit like my prediction, that there will be a section of music which will have to do much more with um, physics, for example. You can, you can slightly feel that if you go to a club, if you go at Bergheim and you have this um, obscene uh, function one speakers, which are like really just, um, in terms of physics, that's, that's just amazing. Sub-frequencies and ultras, ultrasonics and, and all that. Um, and I can feel that um, we, we can now make music which operates with, with more like physics, much more than music. And techno is a little bit that. Techno has always been more interested in sound than in the standard parameters of music, melody, harmony. Okay, can be, but not necessarily. You can listen to a kick drum and the bass frequency and it's it works. So there's always been that attachment to physics, for example, in music. And I can see that that can go, you know, somewhere where we right now we can't really see where that could be. But uh, it's it's totally in, in, in my perspective, it's totally something that, that's possible. How do you think that's going to affect you? I've been very, very interested in, in high-res recording, for example, um, recording in high resolution and um, musically going to the borders of, um, of sound. You go into a range where the human ear can't hear anymore, where it's either like too low or too high, um, and everybody goes like, yeah, but this is not important. You know, if, if you talk to a classical engineer, he would say, everything beyond that range is not relevant. We don't hear it. Well, we can't compose with it and, and I would say how do you know you know there's certainly I mean um, across where the, the ultra frequencies go into a different um, a sonic range who knows what's happening there and I'm really interested in in a club for example or when I play live shows to figure out how far you can go in the you know in, on a PA um, 
And sometimes you, you find a club who, who gets that idea and who goes like, yeah, let's give it a shot, 15 hertz, 10 hertz. Let's try it, you know. So that's something I find really, really interesting right now. That's something I, um, I try to, um, I, find, I find very entertaining in, the stu in my studio. So talking about your live shows, I think I've seen you play live maybe six or seven times now, mm -hmm. um, and it has really never been the same. So can you talk a bit about how your live sets work in terms of material? Like obviously you have such a huge back catalog. Mm -hmm. uh, so what are you kind of pulling from? I, I've never performed... Um, really, yeah, I, I did, but um, I, I never really liked the idea of performing recorded music. So I never, like my old stuff is old stuff. Right. I don't really like to, um, I, I don't really, I, I don't think I'm of that art type of artist which make an album to perform it live. I ne I've never done that. So what I usually, I usually consider the recording and the studio work and the live thing, like, pretty different worlds and from the, from the very first time when I played a show when I started making music um, I had no idea about that so I, I thought like yeah performing live is like you take what you've done in the studio and then you put it on the stage until I realized it didn't work at all not for me and not for the audience it was like kind of like a handicapped version of nothing really um, so I realized that there is a different energy at play um, on stage um, and it's about something else than just um, reproducing something you've done before. At least um, with the audience I'm you know, performing for or, um, or the audience I have looked for in my, in my you know, making. So I've always found it very interesting, much more interesting than reproducing something to figure out how that moment is working when you're like on a stage or in a club and you have the PA and you have the audience and there's this whole uh, chemistry of uh, elements and you have to kind of make that work. That's what I find um, the entertaining thing about playing. I have not really, I don't feel really feel it joyful to reproduce something I've done. It's kind of, it's sometimes you have to do it but I've always tried to find like that different angle of like where, where's the interaction. Also the fact that you are playing, talking about techno, and that you and the PA is like this one unit and you're actually playing the PA, um, which you don't have in your studio. So it's like a totally different thing. You know? Like you're playing the PA and creating like a, a feedback loop with, with the audience and like it's feeding back in the best case um, I find that really, really um, interesting and, and very different from how music was performed before techno. I think um, up to, you know, the early 90s music was, live music was perceived differently. It was something different. And I kind of like, when I started to make music was the end of the 80s, I kind of like still felt it. And then techno came along and, and everything changed. And I found that really, really um, inspiring. I mean, does your archive come into play in these kinds of situations at no, all? No, no, no. Mm -hmm. My archive comes um, into play um, in the sense as that I have started to recycle bits and pieces of my archive, but in in more like studio productions. Okay. Yeah. You once said that you what you find interesting about your archive is that these recordings are a part of you that you can call upon when you need them, sort of like a language, like you mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Um, almost every production next to the musical idea it has like the, the creative like kind of flowery idea like you want to make a music about <laughs> this and this which is kind of like almost poetic or it's more like right, related to a feeling or to a mood something like that there's always a technical task uh, related to it i think where you have to figure out like with your musical with your musical and technical technical knowledge to make a certain idea work, that's it's always like that's like the task in a way, um, and it's always this kind of weird um, zone where you don't really this the idea is always like this weird opaque bubble <laughs> where you go like I don't know what it really is I can't really put it in words but um, and then it becomes close it comes closer and it pulls itself together 
And there's always a moment where you have to have, um, uh, you can either repeat yourself like technically and from your I don't know, vocabulary point of view, maybe you can see it's very easy to make the same thing over and over and not progress. It's not difficult, I think, for, for an artist. It's not necessarily what I, what I like. So I'm always trying to, I feel like really uncomfortable when I make music and I find myself um, repeating myself where, where you go like, oh, I have an idea. Oh, I do like that. Uh, it's that's it's always been like that. I don't like that. It's uh, uh, sometimes you have to do it or you uh, like to do it, but I'm always um, trying to avoid that moment and and push the musical idea as far as uh, beyond that point where you got where you kind of like struggle even with the realization of it. Like, how would I do that? And you try it like that and like that, and you think about it a lot, and then suddenly you have like an intuition it could work like that. And and then when you make it, when you really, uh, when it starts starts to work, that's that's where you really it's like a high. You like totally like, <laughs> whoa, this is incredible. Um, and you know that that's the moment actually you live for in in the process. That's when when you really enjoy it. All the way around that is like a lot of like discipline, and it's like really really boring sometimes to force yourself into a certain moment. And then when when this happens, when you really achieved something that you hadn't done before. Um, it becomes um, by by trying to do this the second time in, in a similar fashion, you kind of like um, shape that method. You you start to shape that. You give it from a first intuitive moment. Maybe you can make it more and more um, you know uh, explainable. And then suddenly you go like ah, I have done it like this, and maybe this is like and you give it names, and um, and then suddenly it's like. A, it's like a thing where you can then for maybe in a couple of years time, you can go like, oh, what, um, I, I want to do this and that. Oh, I, I, I use that whole creative, you know, mm. technique I have developed um, and it just, it's just there. And um, one very concrete example is um, this, I did this album, uh, Pop Artificiel, which where I had an idea about how I wanted the vocals to sound. But I had, I didn't have the equipment, and I didn't have. There was nothing around at the time that would have done that. There was no uh, Vocaloid. There was no. There was no software at all to do to do that. So everything, I had it sounding in my head, and I knew that the only way to make it really was a very manual. It was like really handcrafty kind of. I take a word and I sample it and I loop it and I cut it, program it back together, and then like consolidate it. It was, it was very mechanical very time intensive um, hour, weeks I was sitting there just like cutting vowels and doing like really crazy stuff where I knew before I started that it, it had to be like that and then you think about it and you go like oh shit this, this is a lot of work um, <laughs> but you do it anyway <laughs> yeah but I really wanted to hear it and then so you start doing it and then I had done it once and, um, and you go look back at it and you go like this was insane and how can I uh, make this better you know the next time uh, but you have the whole process in mind you mm -hmm. you have lived it and you have done it so you suddenly you can tune it You're like okay this one section which was like really annoying i had this sam sampler which was like really slow maybe i can improve that and you, you get like a better tool for that and suddenly you start to build your the same system but better for the next time and then after like a couple of years with the progress of technology as well suddenly it's like nothing. You can just make it all the time. And it's not really, um, it's, it still takes time and stuff, but it's not, it's not, a, it's not a problem. So the archive for you is more sort of to dig back through for ideas or processes rather than actually like taking music and doing yeah. something with it. Yeah. Okay. I'm working on a couple of projects where I, because I'm remastering my archive, I have discovered stuff I had forgotten about, which I really liked. And mm. there's a couple of very, very few tracks, maybe 10 or so, where I realized that there, there's stuff in, in it which was underexplored. Then I tried to, I just sample a bit and um, maybe for future use or something. But it's not something I'm, it's not like a thing. There was an interview of yours where you were talking about how you kind of got over ambient music for a little bit and mm. then mm. you happened to listen to something of yours 
again and ended up really liking it and sort of rediscovering mm-hmm. the genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that happen to you very often where you kind of forget about something and then it changes your opinion of it when you find it again? It, it more happened the opposite that I listened back to something and I was like, oh, it's good. I had forgotten about that because it's not very good. It's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> but there's certain, it happened, certainly it happened with techno and it happened with ambient as well, mm. that it was something I had done in a certain moment because I was interest, interested in a certain um, feeling of it, especially, you know, I think it's both true for ambient and techno, that it's uh, a certain mindset and a certain attitude and a certain approach um, and either you're in it or you're not in it. And, and and once I wasn't in it, it didn't like mean anything to me. And not always you come back to it and it still does something to yeah, you. Yeah, I was going to say, like, do you feel like if you hadn't sort of given up on ambient or techno for a little bit, do you think you would have gotten back into it? Like, did it take mm. you sort of forgetting in order to love it again? I think so, yeah. I also like the fact that, um, like I said, while... Um, well, when I did um, ambient or, or techno, like any music I did in the early 90s, um, there really happened a lot like uh, in terms of um, technology from 95 or from the early 90s until now. So uh, I have different equipment, I hear differently. Um, there's um, much better technology available. It's a little bit like, I know if you have filmed on VHS in the 90s <laughs> and then you stop filming because it's, and then suddenly you rediscover filming like 4K and you go like, wow, this is, you know, now I can maybe explore the same idea or the similar idea, Just but, better. but better. And this is really the case. Like I listened back to old ambient stuff of mine and it's, it's not sounding very good. That's uh, the way, you know, I had the crappy equipment and stuff. <laughs> and, um, and now I really, I can visit that idea again, um, but give it like a better expression i think mm. so this has been really really um i've really been enjoying this so the times that you have sort of pulled from pulled something from your archive and worked on it again does that act of kind of listening to something from the past in the present change the sound for you sort of contextually like does the does the sound gain some kind of value no no usually usually i mean everything old i listen to sounds worse than, than <laughs> anything I could do now. So it's always, but very often I like, I like other as, as, aspects of it, not necessarily the sound itself, but some structures or some ideas or some, there was something in there that, that I had no idea how I did it. And it kind of like makes sense. And I try to, but it doesn't sound very good. Very often that happens. So I try to redesign it and like polish it or and go back to the, more go, go back to the musical idea and make the sound better. But um, I'm not really um, nostalgic about how the 90s sounded, for example. <laughs> it's interesting. It's very interesting because it's some, very often it's so crude. Like I listen mm. to stuff of mine, which I did like with really shitty equipment. And, and I'm, I remember how it was. And it's so simple. Um, I could never ever do this again. <laughs> I wouldn't even want to do it again. But it, I'm really astonished about, uh, about that about that simplicity. You once said that you could hypothetically publish your entire catalog all over again and no one would notice Mm -hmm. uh, that you could sort of start again tomorrow from the very beginning Mm -hmm. and hardly any critics would notice. Do you Mm -hmm. really believe that? (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, I don't. But funny things happen, um, which make me think that every now and then, like uh, one example, like I got a a message from like a a young kid from the UK who had listened to an old track of mine, uh, which was played in the DJ set at some club in, in, in the UK. And there is this whole like um, thing happening as a whole scene around um, 90s house music. And there is like new DJs making old sounding um, house music, which sounds like in the 90s, but it's mixed. Of course, the DJs mix the old stuff and the new stuff. It yeah. sounds like old stuff. So it's like all <laughs> together. And he had like listened to a track, which was a track of mine. And he had figured out that it was me. Like he asked the DJ <laughs> and he showed him the vinyl and he Googled it and he found out that it was me. And he asked me, uh, he played me like a, he showed me like a clip from his cell phone. Yeah. Like, 
is this your track? And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, wow. Um, I, I guess so. You know? <laughs> and it was actually something from like 94 or 93, which was had been released back then on, um, on vinyl, which I don't think is necessarily... I, I'm listening to it. I don't think it's... It doesn't tell me anything, really. But for him, and probably for many other people as well, it kind of in this new, new old context makes sense. They hear something in it I, I obviously have no um, access to because it's I'm too close as well to, to what it is and what the time was. But um, there is definitely something happening um, in that sense as that um, old music can appear as being new again especially for, for the younger generation that has no that has grown up with a different historic um, how you say different historic um, consciousness maybe the internet does not give you a timeline the internet just gives you everything at the same time and then you find something and it's actually out of time you know if you look at the, like playlists of, of kids um, there's everything in there there's like the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and yesterday, and everything is just in there. And it's more like uh, the coherence is uh, it's not his, it's not historical. There's not uh, in my case when I socialized with music, it was much more like that. You had to really dig for your music, and it's always the cohesion was always like um, time related. Or oh, there's this artist, and it's connected to this artist, and then you suddenly like you expand your timeline in a way. And this is not um, the case anymore. So people can just like pop into a style and something around that appears and produces itself. And then it can be old or new or whatever. So very often I have to feel there's a lot of music of mine, which I do think has a historical connotation, like this, this track, for example, this, this um, uh, guy found. But then there's a lot of music when which had never been the more like obscure things I did, which were always like kind of like out of time in a, in a way. And you can, you could put them out still now and they would not fit anywhere really. I have that, I, I hear that a lot from people who listen to like re-release stuff of mine from the 90s and, and it's still like, what's that? It, it doesn't have a timestamp really. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does clearly. Um, but very often it doesn't, and and the question is always where is that instant, that instance that would be the um, uh, the judge upon upon that? Who is really there to, being conscious about the history of of electronic music? I don't see anybody really judging upon that. So it's a little bit like, um, and I did I don't know if you don't I did this compilation uh, Acid Evolution, which was a fake Acid History album. It was called Acid Evolution 1989 till 2003. And I invented all the acid tracks. Okay. Through, uh, from, I made one for each year right. with fake identities. Mm -hmm. um, and only the, the label knew. It was released in 2005 or 2003 or something like that. I just remastered it. But, uh, and it was released uh, by a French label and uh, was released as an acid compilation. And nobody really realized that it was just one person faking. And, At one time, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I found it really funny, you know. Um, you could like, perfectly fake something and put it there. And people were like, yeah, yeah, sure. That's how, that's how history was. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really not. And I, I, I came across that um, notion when I was at a record store in an airport somewhere. And they had... Uh, like a shelf of compilations which are called like best of drum and bass, best of, and I didn't know any of these. And I was like, well, this is best of, this is best of techno. I don't know anybody. How, and they were clearly like, I don't know, they were like, um, just like patched together or something. Right. Like, um, but they had this like, this emphatic um, history of drum and bass, the history of that and that. And it could as well be fake and nobody would care. Right. right? Um, and that's a little bit um, how I see myself as well. So mm. the, the question is always like, um, are you attached to anything? Uh, is it imagination? Is it of importance um, or not? And, and I'm pretty, um, um, it's, it's not a big issue for me. Like I, I'm, I'm, 
whatever I do is pretty, um, I do it for myself. So I'm not really like looking at uh, the, the historical framework of, of things. So how does this kind of time stamping concept that we we're talking about, how does that work when you're working on something for a couple of years? Like I know that you worked on HD for a really long time. So mm. did that release kind of grow and change along with you as you were growing and changing over the years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's more, I don't, a long, long time ago, I stopped perceiving my creative process as being related to anything that's happening, really. Um, I'm not really interested in the contemporariness um, because I, I always think that what we perceive as contemporary is always the past of somebody else. Like if you listen to an album of somebody who was just it was just released and you go like oh this is the next big thing it's already like six months or or maybe a year old mm -hmm. so you're always listening to the past to somebody else's past um, and many many years ago uh, ago which is also the reason I moved to Chile uh, well, um, I decided that I was not interested anymore in knowing what's going on because I realized also that it's pretty redundant to know what's going on I never it never felt like it would give me anything mm. you always feel like a little bit too late if you know too much of, of you know, contemporary contemporariness and I decided that um, I was more interested in in like the timelessness of ideas and then I realized that the only the only real refuge is your own head in that way that the, what's going on in your head is the only new place there's no there's no external source that's more original than what's in your head so when i did hd for example um it was music that had been laying around on my heart disk for many years and and i put it together without any external reflection it was not made in respect to anything that happened back then and every now and then it still does which is of course and you always do something that's somehow already existing but that's that's another topic that <laughs> you know i think you should not be too worried about that because a lot of artists not also not only musicians kind of like freeze under the pressure of the contemporary omnipresence of everything you go like oh i have an idea and then somebody goes like oh yeah look this, uh, 1974 and you go like oh shit no I can't do it anymore because right. you know once you start like that you're lost because it's it's all there in a way but still um, and it's always been like that and maybe because we have now all the access to everything it's even more um, frightening to be creative because you're constantly if you consider yourself being creative and you're constantly like threatened by everything then you're not going to do anything and I realized that this was not mm, of importance, really, because at the end of the day, your idea, uh, it's always you, you know, it's, it's your hands and your head and your who's doing it. So it's always going to be a little bit different than what's been out there. And, and to put yourself into, into that eternal competition with all the other artists in history, it's, yes. it's, a, little bit, yeah, it's a little bit pointless. So, so I realized that... Um, my, my method is always to have as, as much of a clear idea in your head of what you want and then just uh, not don't look for, you know, similarities in, or for reference points in the outside world and, and just do it. And if it works, it's great. And if it doesn't um, work for whatever reason, which is usually out of your control anyway, then okay. I mean, what... What can you do? <laughs> what can you do? And very often the music I had no, I did like that. Like Pop Artificial is a good example, because when I when I did it, um, it wasn't really popular to make cover versions of pop songs. Mm -hmm. It was like uh, techno was like happening at the end of the nineties. It was like a, a slightly cheesy idea and not really. Arsenio Copeland is another example where I, I did it, and everybody was like, "Oh my god." Uh, <laughs> What's that? You know, and I was like, I know I had to do it. You know, I, I really wasn't looking for anybody to be validated by. I, I did it and I was like, okay, if nobody likes it, then it's just going to die. And okay, in a lot of cases, out of those 2000 tracks I did, I think that was the case. 
there's more I've made more music that has you know, uh, gone or passed by unnoticed than than noticed. So I have no problem with that. You know? <laughs> so what sort of things inside your head, or maybe what memories or kind of past events are influencing you and your music these days? Or like, do you feel like the memories that you're making now are going to have some kind of effect on your music in the future? Uh, um, I think so. Um, uh, I mean, the, the, the question of memory is like, um, has become an important one um, for because also, for example, my mother um, has has gotten dementia. She's 87. And she's forgetting things like uh, like in a really heavy way. And uh, and something similar has happened to friends of mine, a friend of mine who had a, a, a brain. Um, well, he got he fell unconscious. And when he came back, he was somebody else, basically. And then suddenly you I was like confronted with memory and loss of memory and, and what memory means to who you are, what you are, in a quite drastic way over a couple of years. So I've been like thinking about that quite a lot, um, not necessarily related to my own memory, but then of course you ponder uh, whether this, how, how much of um, what your memory is, is actually your persona. Like, can you separate yourself from your memory? Would you still be the same? Um, and what do you think? Can you? Well, I don't think so. No, I, don't, I don't think you can. But the question in general is what what is memory? So uh, <laughs> we're getting very deep now. <laughs> yeah, very deep. And, and I've been thinking a lot about uh, uh, dreams, um, the, the dream consciousness and the wake consciousness. And uh, sometimes you have that um, when dreams and memories become like the same thing. You don't know. Did I, is that a memory? Right, is that a déjà vu? Right. Did that really happen, or was it or, a dream? Was it, or did I dream it? Mm. And this can become very complex, um, even as a healthy person, you know, <laughs> suddenly you're like, I don't know what's, what was that, you know. So I read a lot about it and it's a very, very interesting topic. That's why I started to re-sample um, parts of my, of my archive. It's a little bit like, like uh, making memory of yourself, uh, but in a different time zone in a way. And um, of course, I mean... Living and expanding your being in time is only possible because you're creating a cohesion uh, for memory. Like um, if we had no memory at all, you wouldn't even be able to uh, define that moment today, now, this moment, because you would not even know about the past. So time doesn't make sense without memory. And what that cohesion is, um, which is it's very active in music because music only works about, uh, with this cohesion. Music is a sequence of moments that, in your miracle, like a miracle in your head, you you build a song out of it or a track. You you expand it in your head, and you have a memory of the whole thing, even though it's only passing through your consciousness in slices, which is pretty far out if you think about it. <laughs> and um, so, music itself it operates with time, and and with memory by definition. Like without memory, there wouldn't be no be no music. It's, it's been um, a topic I'm, I'm like very, very interested in. And this, of course, like um, thinking about somebody who's 87 years old and losing his memory or her memory. And you wonder where this person is without the memory. Mm -hmm. you know? And you wonder what you would be without your memory. Mm -hmm. I mean, what must it be like to kind of just forget things? You know, it's like quite a scary thought, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I thought it was... I think it's scarier than it maybe is because I mean uh, I had this one moment where I was sitting like with my mother and she's in a home in Frankfurt and she has no idea what's going on but she had like a very happy day she was like laughing all the time mm -hmm. and she was singing but she had no idea what was going on and I was like well this is maybe isn't this like a Zen Buddhist <laughs> dream yeah like you're just you're just like here now and uh, there's no concerns about the future or the past in a, in a way it was kind of like a bittersweet thought I had. Mm -hmm. It was so funny. I was like, she's actually there where like um, every person who's like doing meditation and you, you want to be in that timeless zone mm -hmm. and she's there. I don't know. It was kind of, it was kind of weird, but maybe as, I think as long as you're not suffering, like um, not so bad. It's not, I don't think it's, I think it's worse to be conscious and suffering than to be unconscious and not suffering. 
that was my conclusion. <laughs> so you, you don't know where, where we don't nobody knows where you know where, where you're going um, in your future. So I mean, yeah, that was my last question. Like, where do you where do you sort of see yourself going? Mm, into the light. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I'm 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 surprised about being that entertained with music right now because there was a moment where or let's say as a german i'm not i'm not really a positive <laughs> person so uh, <laughs> uh, i i really think that things are getting worse in in a way wherever you wherever you go like uh, you always go like oh okay this is worse than it used to be and um i would say that's like that's like the basic tendency of you know of being German. But um, apart from that, I'm really surprised about how entertained I am with and how how happy I am with um, doing what I'm doing. Um, mainly because I have, like I said before, tried to detach myself from those external like, elements that are kind of like trying to pull you in, in sync with what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think if you manage to do that, then you, like, all your negativity kind of like disappears. And so I'm very entertained with with all the musical ideas I have and with all the projects which are getting bigger and bigger.